Hi everyone, welcome to Mind the Shift. I am Anders Bolling. There is a shift going on in our perception of sex and gender. Equality has increased in many ways, in many areas, and the relevance of the sex has decreased in many areas too, which is undoubtedly welcome. But it seems as if the discussion about gender intensifies as equality increases. Perhaps it is because when the border between the sexes gets blurred, some feel afraid that something goes missing. To some it might feel desperately important to pinpoint exactly what it is that separates men from women. One specific development is a shift from emphasizing biological gender or sex to emphasizing psychological gender. That is, you are the gender that you feel you are, no matter what you have between your legs. Uh, now, should young boys and young girls who feel they have been born into the wrong kind of body be allowed to go through advanced surgery to physically correct their biological sex? This is a change that my guest today has thought a lot about and a question that, that she has uh, thought a lot about and criticizes. In her book, On the Existence of Gender, which is a translation from the Swedish title, Kajsa Ekis Ekman thoroughly dissects what's happening and reveals how fast things are changing and that this shift has some pretty unexpected and unwelcome ramifications. Welcome to the show, Kajsa. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for this introduction. Yeah, we're going to dive into the, this this book and, and talk more about your work uh, also, uh, hopefully, during during our conversation. First, uh, well, I can ask first, how has the, the book been received so far? Oh, I think there's been a lot of debate because, you know, it's the first book here in Sweden that deals with the issue from yeah. the, the feminist standpoint or to actually even talk about, you know, this new definition of sex. Abroad, there have been a couple of books, but I think here the debate is just starting. So have you been uh, criticized yourself? I mean, you criticized this thing that's happening, but have you been criticized uh, harshly from the (laughs) transgender community, for instance? Well, I mean, the Swedish church has been criticizing me. Um, Who else? Um, The National Organization for LBTQ Rights um, has even published a book about my book or like a leaflet type of thing. There's been a lot of articles, you know, but that was kind of expected because I think this is one of the most sensitive issues of our times. Hmm. Uh, It's really, it's really fascinating. When I read the book, I I had so many aha moments. But first, maybe there there was some, there's some uh, confusion around some central concepts here, I think. So can you please just for the audience listeners, uh, explain the difference between sex and gender, if that's possible. Yes. Well, sex refers to basically biology, like the material sex that you have, Um, you know, chromosomes. Like women are, you know, females, basically, that are born with two X chromosomes and males are born with XY. You know, and then, of course, you have uh, a minority of people that are born intersex, Um, that might have some features of the other sex. But generally, you can say that the human uh, species is divided into two sexes, right? And then gender is a word that the women's movement started using um, in the 60s, 70s, 
referring to um, stereotypes, conceptions, uh, like everything that they denoted a social construct. So, for example, the idea that males are supposed to fight in war, that females are supposed to take care of children, um, that men are supposed to have short hair and females long hair and all these things that vary um, in history and in culture, you know, all that that you can say it's it's arbitrary, like we're not born with it. You know, mm. you are not born to have short hair. I'm not born to have long hair. It's just the way that culture decides how to divide males and females up and create this kind of um, role around mm. sex. And mm. feminists have called that gender to separate it from biological sex. Yeah. So um, I think gender is a useful concept. Um, I mean, Simone de Beauvoir in her study, The Second Sex, back then she wasn't using that word gender because it wasn't really invented back then. Um, in the 50s? Yeah, yeah, 49, I think she 49. wrote it. So it wasn't really invented back then, but basically it denotes everything that she is analyzing there. Yeah. Everything that society imposes on men and women is gender. And gender is what most feminists want to do away with. Mm-hmm. You know, we want a world where sex is just, you know, your biological body and nothing else. Mm. Nothing will restrain you from being what you want to be, who you want to be, how you're supposed to behave or dress or anything. Yeah. So in that with that uh, definition, I, I guess that gender is malleable yeah. and, and sex is, is fixed. Basically, yeah. Basically. I mean... It's very interesting. And then there are some, some 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 aspects of that which we'll come back to because some people think that sex isn't even even sex isn't fixed. Yeah. So yeah, but thank you for the explanation. That's good, excellent. Because I mean, I'm I'm probably gonna mix the two up when I talk today. But yeah, I mean, today it, there is a real mix-up. Like, uh, I mean, it's funny because when I was reading up on the history of why the word gender became so popular, I mean, today in the U.S., like people say gender when they actually mean sex, yeah. like gender discrimination. Yeah. When they actually talk about sex discrimination, but um, maybe in English it's because it's it's it can be confused with sex. Exactly, I mean, ha- having sex, exactly. sexual intercourse. In other languages, it's not that confusing. Exactly, and the thing was that a lot of like women activists uh, back in the seventies, eighties, nineties were were advised not to use the word sex because when they were speaking to like a whole male audience, you know, or speaking within the court of law or something, and using the word sex. You know, oh, everyone's just going to think of having sex. So it's better to <laughs> use the word gender. It sounds more scientific yeah. and it takes, you know, the thoughts away from from that. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. So now this change that's going on here in the perception of what gender or, yeah, gender or sex is or should be has been, as I understand, pretty fast. And you, uh, and it also involves some, uh, at least in this country and, and in many, many other countries, as you, as you write in the book, legal changes that will have big implications. Can you explain what is what is going on here? Well, there are several things, you know, because first of all, what is happening here? What is happening is that all of a sudden, um, as opposed to the description I just gave you, which is, you know, sex is, is, is just there and gender is a social construct. Now, this new definition of, of sex and gender that's taking hold says that basically you um, chain, you switch these two around. So you say that, no, 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 your gender is who you are. It's what you're born with. It's like an innate feeling that emanates from the human being. So you just have to find out what gender you are, you know. Um, So basically, as opposed to you're born with your body, but the rest is a social construct. Now we have uh, you're born with an innate feeling of gender, 
Whereas sex uh, is done away with entirely. Like that basically shouldn't be used, shouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. And um, you see that, for example, in in a lot of ways that, um, for example, in the medical profession, uh, midwives and, and things like that are being told all over the Western world that they have to take away the word woman to refer to pregnant people because not only women get pregnant, they say, right? So then what do they mean when they say not only women get pregnant? Because apparently only females get pregnant. So then they've changed the meaning of the word woman as to mean those who identify with a female gender. Hmm. And the body is ir irrelevant. To exactly. That the body is irrelevant. So even though you can get pregnant, you are giving birth, you are not a woman unless you identify as such. And okay. my question then would be, well, how do you know what you identify with when you identify as a woman? What is that thing, right? And we then get back to stereotypes about what a woman is, mm. you know. Oh, I identify as a woman because of what? Well, generally then, if you look at definitions or explanations, you find that the identification is with the female gender, the stereotype, which is what we wanted to do away with. Mm, so mm. we get back to gender and gender roles and stereotypes as being um, the basis for defining sex. So, so sex, it's a total sex is backlash. The, they say sex is in the brain more than in, in the rest of the body. Yeah, some say that, you know, you just... Or gender is in the brain. Yeah, that you just know who you are. And some say that, oh, it's in the brain, so you're born with it. Whereas I was going through... St actual studies on, you know, does the brain have a gender? And it doesn't. You know, you can't denote what is a female brain and a male brain. I mean, there are tendencies, but they're so overlapping. Mm. Whereas when it comes to sex, it's not overlapping. Like no male born person can have children mm. and no uh, female person can produce sperm. It's mm. not overlapping. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so, so what are the legal changes that are going on here and, and happening fast and people don't even know about? Yeah, well, basically uh, what's being done in country after country is a change in the law that enables, that allows for self-definition of, of sex, meaning that anybody who feels like a certain gender can go and change the way they're registered in the law. You know, and some countries are even speaking about taking away um, sex in registers. So so you wouldn't be registered as any sex at all. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, of course, has, as you were saying, ramifications for um, the women's movement, especially. And that's what I'm worried about, because in Sweden, for example, we have uh, like I think some of the world's best statistics, like sex based statistics, because when we're born, we get a pers personal identification number that says what sex you are. And on the basis of that, you can make um, studies that, you know, the official statistics bureau does every second year on the, the, the pay gap between men and women, discrimination in the working place, violence, lifespan, um, criminality, um, all sorts of things. So if you take that away, it's going to be really difficult to assess our situation and mm. to change it. Mm. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. As you say, I mean, this is uh, this has interesting implications for for gender equality. And I mean, at at first, this may, if you don't look into it very deeply, as you have done in the book, um, it may seem as a natural next step in society's endeavor to, you know, achieve full full equality uh, towards equality. But but you discovered here that that it is actually it entails a setback for 
gender equality or a backlash to use mm-hmm. Susan Faludi's term and you say it's it, it is as if the biologism that a large chunk of feminism wanted to get rid of mm. is back but now in the form of some kind of inner biologism <laughs> yeah i call it like biologism without biology yeah so basically we get back to you know uh, a woman is and I've, i've i've gone through like a lot of these books that are for example self-help books or guidebooks for parents of transgender kids for example and how they speak about sex and gender like how do they explain what it is and often you get back to you have for example this spectrum i mean it's very common now to say oh gender is a spectrum we all have our unique identity now if you look at it it turns out it's not that unique at all because you have from 1 to 10 mm. and 1 is a barbie doll and 10 is gi joe action um figure so you have to like place yourself uh on the spectrum and you know this is all about stereotypes you know it's nothing to do with a body you know it's basically if you feel that you are a, a barbie doll you are super girl and mm. if you feel you are you want to com- be like combating in war you are gi joe you are a male and um basically you know it just goes against everything that we want to get rid of Like okay why if it has nothing to do with sex if this identity is totally irrelevant to the body why even call it a gender identity why can't you just call it personality why connect it to male and female yeah. if you see what i mean yeah. like if you want to be barbie you can be barbie even though you know you're though you're, you're a girl you're, or a boy yeah. why, why do you have mm. to connect it to that and why do you then because often in these guidebooks and most of them are american guidebooks it says that if your son or daughter at the age of 3 start acting more like the other sex like for example your son is starting to wear pink he wants glittery clothes he wants to even wear dresses god forbid and now he also hangs out with girls most likely he is a girl and they advise you then to take him to a psychologist mm. And later on in life he's going to be subjected to something which is very controversial a treatment that they now stopped in Sweden and Britain which is called the Dutch protocol mm. which is you start uh before puberty or when puberty has just uh, begun with puberty blockers which actually stops the body from developing and then you follow up with uh cross sex hormones and then you do full uh surgery at the age of 18 So I see this as as a major backlash because what is happening is I mean if you take it to to the extreme what's happening is that um kids who are what they call um gender non-conforming mm-hmm. that don't fit into the stereotype are supposed to be medically treated. Yeah. They're not allowed to be I mean boys who are girlish so to speak yeah. are not allowed to be that and, yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. And what 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 does that mean for our view or these people's view on homosexuality? Well, you know, I think it's very interesting because you know, we're told that this whole new definition of sex uh goes in line with like gay pride and goes in line with tolerance, you know, and this transgender are just the next group in line to fight for their rights and yeah, it fits into that narrative so you're told like this is the rainbow flag it's part of that but if you look at what's actually happening you see something that's just the opposite which is that if you look at a lot of um children um who are being taken to these clinics i mean they're being taken to these clinics even before they can make their own choice about things because yeah. they're, they're very often really small and um they're definitely um under the age of 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 18 so what's the reason for taking them there 
Well, often it is what you call gender incongruent behavior. Mm. Well, I guess it's, there's a catch-22 here because, I mean, the general idea to, to, to have surgery and give them hormone treatment when they're very young is that you have to stop puberty for this physiological change of, of, of the sex uh, to, to be possible to, to achieve, isn't it? Yeah. So. Basically, I mean, endocrino endocrinologists, I think you call it, yeah, were, were yeah. experimenting with this. And why do they call it the Dutch protocol? Because they came from Holland. And they realized that it's much easier to create resemblance to um, a woman um, if you start before a guy has entered puberty. I mean, when he develops... Um, hair on his chest when he gets an Adam's apple, when he grows, he gets muscles and all that happens. Afterwards, it's going to be difficult to create of him mm. something that looks like a woman. But if you start before, he doesn't even enter puberty. Well, you know, he's going to pass, as they call it, like you pass as a woman, mm. which then would enhance life quality. Um, now, I think... The problem with that is that now when you get you have such an increase in a lot of Western countries, like you have up to 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 in some age groups, 8,000 percent increase in especially young girls that go to these clinics and that want to be converted into into boys or men. Um, you have it a, used to be the other way around, didn't it? Yeah, it used More to men be. men wanted to be become yeah, women. Yeah, and it was older men too. Older men, yeah. I mean, it was basically... You know, you would have one here and there that maybe thought about it their whole lives and really realized that this is what I want to do. And yeah, the process so was had extremely time to think, to slow. Think it through, yeah. yeah, and it was you had to have something called real life experience, which is before you did anything to your body, you had to go around and present as a woman for two years to know, is this really what you want? And I mean, now you have this procedure that you call affirmative, which is that you don't question somebody's gender identity. So if you come there when you were like 12, 13, 14, and you say, no, I'm a boy. I mean, they don't go into the history of that person. Like, mm, did you have other problems? Could there be other reasons? And they just affirm that, okay, you are a boy. And they would put you on puberty blockers and then hormones. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there are so many ethical issues with that. And I think that's why they've stopped it now in Sweden and Britain. I mean, they realize that this is a very controversial treatment. It has side effects such, such as infertility, because when you never enter puberty, I mean, um, yeah. and, and then you put on cross-sex hormone, sometimes you can't even get fertility back after that. So you kind of so, condemn these children to, to not, never being able to have children. Basically. And I mean, some of these doctors are, are very like invasive in the way they speak to parents. They say you can either not have grandchildren or you cannot even have a child anymore because your child is going to take his or her life because this is such um, a huge um, torment to them not being able to live as their gender. So they're really stressing parents here to agree to those treatments. And um, I think basically when you are 12, 13, 14, you don't have the maturity either in the brain um, or in, li in terms of life experience to know really what it means that you are just choosing a path of life. Mm that you might regret later on, and then it's going to be too late. So, so, you know, in my book, I don't even speak about treatments for adults because I think, you know, that's every person's choice, and really I have nothing to do with that. You know, if somebody wants to have breasts, if you're a man or a woman, I mean, okay, who am I to say anything about that? But I think when it comes to um, children, and especially such an increase, mm. we have to try to look at, like, are there other factors yes. that might be involved Which are here? they? What, what do you think it depends on? Mm. 
I think there are a lot of factors at play here. I mean, when I looked into testimonies of these young girls that want to become guys and looked at, you know, how they spoke about it. I mean, first of all, there's a prevalence of other um, psychological problems in their history, and especially anorexia was very prevalent, um, and also other type of complex issues such as um, ADHD and things like that. Yeah, I've heard the aut- autism spectrum. Is, yeah, is exactly. Represented. Yeah, very, sense. very um, much more so than in the general population of, yeah. of girls that age. Um, other problems as well. A lot of these girls, when they talked about it, it wasn't so much about wanting to be a man. Uh, the way they spoke about it was more not wanting to be a woman, mm. not wanting to fit into the stereotype of being a woman. And if you look at young girls today, I mean, they're brought up in a society that's very different from, you know, just 20 years ago when I was growing up, which is that it's extremely segregated when it comes to gender roles, you know, and it's very sexualized and also with the onset of the internet, you know, if you don't fit into what a girl is supposed to be like, it can be very difficult to grow up. And so these were some of the factors that I saw. And then you had another factor, which is that I think, you know, a girl growing up, like when I was young, she wouldn't even have heard about this. So it wouldn't be an option. But now it's all over the place. So Mm. if you feel a bit different and you just Google, you know, whatever, you will meet Mm. lots of YouTube videos, posts, communities that speak about you are transgender. If you think you are transgender, you probably are. Mm. So there's the trend factor as well. There's a bias. They get confirmation uh, wherever they look. Yeah. It's the algorithms that that do that. Yeah, I guess. And And also uh, that, you know, if you would have, if you would be anorectic back in the days, um, you would be told by the whole society that this was wrong, that mm-hmm. you have to eat. This is dangerous. Mm-hmm. But if you now um, have a similar type of rejection of the female body form, of developing breasts, of having your period, you know, and protesting against that by instead wanting to be a male, um, you get another reaction from society. They will tell you, this is good. Be who you are. Go ahead with it. Yeah. Don't listen to the transphobes who just want you to like, you see. So there's really nobody to say, hey, you know, hold on. Wait a while. Is this really what you want? Well, in a way that contradicts what you say said about this society being very very polarized uh, between the sexes. And because, I mean, that would never happen before, I mean, they they would they would of course reject the idea that this this girl was was actually a boy. But now they say, but it's kind of it's a paradox. Well, I would say it's actually you know it can be explained because if you look at societies that have practiced um, either transition like medical transition for a long time, like Iran, which has a history of doing that, and Thailand, for example. Um, or social transition, which has been around in Afghanistan, Albania, and places like that, you see that very often these are societies that have strict gender roles. Mm. And of course, the stricter gender roles you have, the more visible and noticeable a person's going to be that doesn't fit in. Mm -hmm. So if you don't fit in, I mean, then society has kind of institutionalized an exception, which is you can just switch over to the other side. You can be that instead, right? So if being a young girl today is being extremely sexualized, being, well, <laughs> you know, very into like, you know, makeup, you yeah. know, TikTok, if you look at what's going on there, TikTok videos, you know, 
And then you just, if you just feel like I don't fit in here, that's not me. Hmm. I'm not interested in makeup. I want to play soccer. Like, I don't care about all that stuff. You know, there is the option. You can just go over to the man's side. You can be that. But it's very difficult for young girls to say, I'm still a girl, but I'm just this kind of girl. Yeah, and I'm not homosexual. But they, they might not know that because, I mean, in your book, you reason that uh, or you, you come to the conclusion that many of these, if you look at the studies, these kids that ha- that that weren't subject to hormone treatment uh, that, that were told to wait for a few years, turned out that a large p- proportion of those actually were homosexual. Yes, exactly. Lesbian or gay. Yeah. When they were became, I mean, they yeah, turned 18 well. or 17, they, they realized that they were that. Yeah. So that was the thing. Yeah, and in those guidebooks, the American guidebooks for parents of transgender children, I think it's especially um, um, harmful because, you know, if you're a parent and your daughter comes home and says, you know, I'm not a girl anymore, I'm a guy, and you Mm. think, oh, my God, what is happening? And you start researching, you would find these books. And it says, oh, maybe your daughter has been thinking that she's a lesbian or your son is thinking that he's gay, but actually the, the inner mismatch is not about sexuality, it's about gender. So they're telling these parents that, no, 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 you don't have a gay son. He's actually a heterosexual daughter. Mm. Yeah, so it's a strange switch. Yeah. So that's why I think this new narrative fits in both into like the super modern people, super post, post, postmodern people yeah, who yeah, just yeah. want to be like at the forefront of everything, like mm. the avant-garde of it all, like the super liberal, you know, even left-wing feminist parents who are like, we embrace all this. But it also fits into very conservative parents who cannot accept the fact that they have a gay son. Yeah. And if they understand, no, it's just a medical condition. Yeah. You know, he was just born in a, in a like male body, but he's actually a girl. Okay, we understand. So if you hear a lot of these testimonies from parents, they say, oh, our son just wanted to wear dresses and he was not allowed to. And there was fights over it all the time. And he just always wanted to play with girls and he was not allowed to. But then we understood he has this condition, he has gender dysphoria. And mm. then they change his name to a girl's name. All of a sudden, he's allowed to wear dresses. Mm. So you wonder about these parents' mindset. Like, why was he not allowed to wear dresses yeah. before as a boy? As if that was were radical. I mean... Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and I think in Sweden especially, because in Sweden we have been very kind of open about this for a long mm. time. Whereas in the U.S., I think it has been more conservative. And then... They're exporting that mindset here as well and all over. Now, I'm not saying that all parents of children who ex- experience dysphoria are, are, you know, that intolerant. I'm just reading from the books mm. um, on the subject. Yeah, because you're accused of being uh, transphobic, of course, uh, since yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're questioning the whole this whole narrative. I mean, the, the totality of it. Yeah. But you're not rejecting the fact that there are, there are some people who are, some children probably who are, who actually feel and will feel when they also become mm. adults that mm. they are born in the wrong bodies, so to speak. But I mean, the proportion of of them are is not very very high. And you is that is that one of your yeah? Main I mean, I guess that it's it's too too small too small amount of. I, I guess I wouldn't really agree to the notion the wrong body. Well, in their in their in their. I I con- I, I I agree to the notion that there are people who feel uncomfortable with I don't know if it's the body or it's the ideal mm-hmm. the gender or the sex and that feel better after tra- transition that of course it's so I mean mm-hmm. it has to be so in a society 
that's so divided and that tells girls you have to be this way, tells boys you have to be that way. And then if you just feel better the other way, you know, and you transition and you have a successful, successful transition and you feel better in your new role. I mean, yeah, of course it's going to be that way. You know, it's the same way. Like a person feels, oh, I'm ugly. Right. Uh, you go do sports, you uh, lose, you know, um, 50 kilos and all of a sudden you mm -hmm. feel better. Mm -hmm. You know, of course that's the case. But I do wonder about, you know, society's readiness to accept terms like the wrong body. Yeah. Like, really, if you think about it, mm. like, take it yeah, easy, it's, like, it's don't stress. Like, what I, does it I mean, agree. really, you yeah. know? It's the body that you've got, but 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 you might feel uncomfortable in, in that sex maybe, and you you you're born with a male body, then and you just feel very very strong that you wanna, you wanna be able to have, uh, I don't know, to, uh, to carry a baby, but that that's, that, that won't, won't work anyway. Won't work so, anyway. Yeah, that won't work anyway. I mean, there is one case on the internet uh, <laughs> going around, an, an Asian guy who is. Or maybe no, she, no, he was born as a woman. Yeah, that's he, the thing. He, no, there's no, never been a male person yeah, that's, that's given true. birth. That's there's the never been a uterus yeah. transplant to a guy. That was wrong. Yeah. So yeah, that's never happened. There's never been a person born male in the whole history of humankind that's no. had a child. So You're that unfortunately right. won't work. But um, I mean, I just think it's just beyond the scope of of my book to even get into what people want to do. I mean, yeah, like if you want to do it, do mm. it when you're mm. old enough. Yeah. Fine. I have no issue with that and it's I don't even think I have the right to have opinions about it but what I do is I analyze concepts that are going around in society that like oh you know you're just born in the wrong wait 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 I just mm -hmm. want us to you know take a step back and just look at these terms yeah. like what do they mean what are the consequences what is the ideological backdrop to this mm. but it's not a big big enough a problem for it to have these kinds of legal consequences that are supposedly supposedly happening now. Yeah, well, basically, one thing that I think is very strange about this is that it always comes back to the transgender debate. But actually, you know, the whole shift in the definitions of sex actually has very, very little to do with those few people who actually are transgender. Like... The consequences are so much bigger for everyone, basically. So what I talk about is, for example, erasure of females, mm. the word female, that's not supposed to be used anymore. Um, erasure of female um, sports, for example, um, in terms of prisons, in terms of a lot of areas where you, for good reasons, um, are talking about male and female, mm. like in statistics, for example. Mm. And all of a sudden we're told that, no, um, this is not going to exist anymore. And I don't think this has to do with transgender. Like it has to do with transgender being used as as like an explanation to basically change the whole narrative around women yeah, and yeah, men. But, but, but why? Why is that being done? What's the general idea that? Because I, w I was going to ask about exa exactly this. You write in the book that the word "female," as you say, and the word "woman" is being omitted, but yeah. not the word "man." Yeah, that which is, I mean, why? I mean, man, men are supposedly still a sex, or they yeah, exist. the same way that we are. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's the weird thing. Like, for example, in, I mean, I analyze, for example, the uh, companies that sell sanitary products to, to women. Like, for example, Tampax, Libres, and all these yeah. companies that always, for example, that sell pads and tampons. And many of them have now stopped using the word woman. 
you know, I mean, basically you say, why? Like you are selling products to women. No, they say, uh, we want to celebrate the diversity of all people who menstruate. So we're now going to stop taking away um, the sign for woman and yeah. take away the word woman. And then in a very telling paragraph, they write, um, let's celebrate all people who menstruate. We can do anything that men can do while bleeding. You say, wait, you have the word men. Yeah. You're not taking that away. That's You're still it. using it as the opposite of something else that cannot be said mm -hmm. because that something else mm. is now obliterated. So we're called people who menstruate. Yeah, that's that's really something. So we, I mean, you're lifting one taboo. And this is like very interesting from an anthropological perspective. Like you lift one taboo, but in the same breath, you create another taboo. So you say, let's lift the taboo around menstruation. But then you create another taboo. So now we can talk about menstruation, but we can't talk about women. Yeah. And you have to remember that it's been a very short time since women were taboo. I mean, religiously and in so many cultures and so many ways. It's been just a second since we were allowed to compete in the Olympics. It's been a second since we were allowed to do all the things that men do. So basically, we just, you know... All of a sudden, we're told, for example, in sports, we were told for, you know, hundreds of years that we couldn't, you know, do sports because we didn't have the right body to do sports. And now we're told that, no, there is no such thing as female sports. Okay. So it's really difficult for me not to see the workings here of, you know, a system called patriarchy in which um, it's really easy to always cut down on women's rights. Yeah. I'm not saying they sit in a room with cigars and go, haha, let's use this transgender thing to just like, you know, stop all these women from. I'm not saying it's like that, but I'm just saying that I find the ease with which female um, rights are being taken away kind of telling. And it's women that's at the forefront in doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and the conservative men can just relax and, yeah, and, and yeah, lean yeah. back they can just and say, watch Look it. Look at all the lunacy yeah, that's yeah, going yeah. on. Watch it happening, you know. And yeah. Uh, this is, uh, this is, this works, works for us. Do you know if the same, you, you were mentioning this thing about pads and tampons there. That you, they, they take away the, the, the female symbol and don't write the word women on the, on the um, packages there. Do you know if, if the same thing is happening with shaving gear, men's shaving gear? Have not heard that, you know. Well, I haven't, I haven't heard, thought about it. I haven't heard like men's spaces being questioned at all at in all. the same way. Like, you know, if they were to do with men's sports what they do to women's sports now, I think this is a very good example because sports. I mean, you yeah, you can say you have a gender in your brain, whatever. But sorry, when it comes to sports, it's really about the body here. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I mean, there is a reason why we have different categories. Like women just wouldn't be able to compete with men in basically anything that's not chess or horseback riding, you know, when it comes to using the body. Um, so what you have here is now Olympic, the International Olympic Committee changed the rules so that anybody who has identified as a woman for two years and has lowered his testosterone level to 10 nanomoles per liter can compete in the women's section. Now, the general level of males is 30 nanomoles per liter, whereas the general level of females, um, I read, is two. So it means he's still way above us. Mm. Not speaking of the fact that he has developed as a man, he has competed as a man before, he has a skeleton, he mm. has the muscles that he might have had before from having testosterone when he was a teenager. Yeah. So it still gives him an advantage. Mm. 
And now, I mean, we're just told like, oh, this is diversity. Like, why do you care? You know, it's not so many like, you know, she's like a great role model here. And we're seeing women's world records being beaten in a number of sports here, like um, weightlifting um, that was later on taken away. But then we have also um, biking, for example, where world record has been broken by a, a former man. So I'm wondering, like, say they were to do the same thing with men's sports to say, no, now let's make way for the trans men, the former women who want to come in. Now, we need to make space for them because otherwise, you know, um, they wouldn't have a chance. Mm -hmm. So let's make a rule that like in any soccer team, we need at least one trans man, for example. Let's Mm -hmm. make sure that the trans men, when it comes to running, can start two seconds before all the other men so they can compete on equal terms. I mean, there'd be an outcry. All the men would say, what is this ridiculous, stupid idea? Yeah. Like, come on, man, this is serious. This is sports. But when it comes to us, it's like, oh, you know, just be tolerant and accepting. accepting. So I think what we have here at play is like the creation of two categories. Uh, one category for males, which is created as, constructed as kind of closed and just hegemonic, right? It's just males and nobody can come in. And then we have the creation of the other category, which is basically non-men. So like basically a trash category for anybody that doesn't classify as a man. So like females, um, trans women, trans men, homosexuals, non-men, non-binary should all go in that category, right? And you see it like in sports, you see it in prisons where trans women are applying to get into women's prisons, but you don't see trans men applying to get into men's prisons because for obvious reasons. <laughs> Who wants would, to be there? No. Even the men don't want to be there. No. They will get hurt and hit and everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned uh, talking about the the female category being the, the so, so to speak, trash category. There's a, a public toilet in the parliament in, in Barcelona, I think. Yeah. And there is one door where it's the male symbol and then there's one door where, where all the other symbols are. Yeah, it's all the other <laughs> symbols. Yeah. And it's like that that explains it exactly that yeah. you know, we're not talking about you know, the category of, of males having to be inclusive. No. Um, we're talking about the category of females having to be inclusive all the time. Feminism has to be inclusive. But why is that question never posed to patriarchy? I mean, how come all the transgender people that were elected to parliaments all over the world were trans women, hmm. meaning former men. We haven't seen a single trans man being elected to office. So are we really seeing, you know, diversity here or is it just shuffling of the same old cards? Hmm. Yeah, it looks like it when you read your book. Yeah. There were so many aha moments, as I mentioned. Uh, this thing with sports is one and, and, and many others. And how do you think it all... St- started and 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 why uh because i mean this is a thing of the la- last 20 years or yeah. so not more than that even less i mean it's basically less. since like 2014 it's been is it just an internet thing that young girls who didn't feel comfortable in their bodies started reading things on the internet or is it something did it start in in the transgender community and they were so uh, successful in in lobbying or well, you know what I don't understand is that, for example, um, the number of transgender people is so small. I mean, it's smaller than like the Roma community in Sweden. And I mean, the Roma community hasn't had a single change of law no. made for them. And I mean, for the fact that, for example, um, an inquiry, uh, an official inquiry 
from the Swedish state can propose such a thing as take away sex on our in our passports entirely, for example, do away with the whole Swedish equality policy, which is based on counting how many women, how many men, which would then be made impossible because who knows what, what a woman is. Yeah. So how can such a small minority like uh, warrant such a big change? Mm. I don't School really under 50 years of uh, gender equality work. Yeah, I don't really think that it's um I don't really think that it really has to do with this group at all, actually. Okay. I think it's a kind of um you have a conspiracy theory? <laughs> I don't actually know how it could happen. I guess one of the reasons is that anybody who says something against is being labeled as transphobic. Like you heard what happened to like JK Rowling. Yeah. And any woman who speaks out is shut down. I mean, mm. violently. She's boycotted. She's trashed online. She's canceled. She's vilified. She loses friends. She loses contracts. And I mean, that's a very efficient strategy. Because if somebody like from the ultra-right proposed like, oh, let's just stop counting men and women. Let's stop with equality policy like totally. And then, of course, we would all say, no, what are mm. you talking mm. about? Mm. And they wouldn't really have anything to say. But now when it's done this way, mm. I mean And they are all they're all for it. Yeah. So basically then they don't, they don't have to say anything. They just can sit back and they can just sit back. And when it's done this way, you have an efficient way of shutting down any woman who wants to um defend her own rights yeah. because she's told she's transphobic. So you are not allowed to fight for your own sex without being told that you are actually uh, fighting against your own sex because the most oppressed members of your own sex are trans women. So you get into a kind of labyrinth that you can't get out of. And, you know, it makes it really difficult for, for the women's movement to formulate a policy that would be, you know, um, defending women's rights without risking also to alienate most of the female population because if we're going to use all these new words like cis women um you know gender incongruence privilege and so on you risk um ending up in such an academic language that's so unintelligible that most working class normal women would just like be alienated from it yeah yeah it's 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 such a paradox the whole thing yeah it's really incredible. yeah actually my book is a kind of start like i'm not really Um, I haven't really found a formula yet. Like, that's what everybody's asking. Like, how could this happen? Like, who's behind? Yeah. I haven't really found the formula. I mean, I just point out a lot of factors. Hmm. Well, I, I guess, I mean, society develops in, in, in strange ways sometimes, and you can't see until maybe 50 years later what, what, what actually happened. I, I mean, we still don't know exactly what happened before the world wars and whatever. So yeah, there are many theory, theories still about <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. as to what actually happened. Or so, the moon landing. Or, or the moon landing. Uh, twin or, towers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just happens, you know. Who knows why? But Ma I tend to look at... Sometimes I look at like the... Oh, sorry, I interrupted you. No, 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 you. no. It was just something stupid. Maybe it's no, the, no, ma no. Ma the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. Well, Operating you know, behind the scenes. It's interesting because actually the two brothers who made Matrix are now women. I know. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Wachowski <laughs> sisters. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... I tend to look at like development of narratives and political ideas and power as a kind of 
It's like water, you know, it's like a river that flows. And if you block it in one place, it will find another way. Hmm. And it's just going to flow until it finds a way to run down the mountain. You know what I mean? Like yeah. where it wants to go. It's a good metaphor, I think. Yeah. So I think you have to look at it more organically. Like if we in the women's movement have with the building of our discourse, of our rhetoric, of our analysis, have efficiently blocked patriarchy from entering a certain way. Because you can no longer say what you said for 2,000 years, which is that females are inferior biologically, females are made for this and that. If a female will, you know, jump uh, too high, she will then develop a penis. So it's yeah. very dangerous. So women should just sit down and like, you know, and you had all these bogus theories about women and we've very efficiently blocked that. Mm. So you have patriarchy, I think, trying to find new ways. And then you have a small channel here that is totally irrelevant to that. It's just a transgender woman fighting for their own rights, completely legitimate, you know, why not? It's good. Mm. But then you have patriarchy, like, trying out that channel and kind of finding that's an efficient way. And if it works, you know, the water is just going to flow. So it goes that way. That's the only way I can explain it. Yeah. Well, you're a materialist, of course, and you, yeah. you see you see things these ways. You see it politically and all that. But, th- I mean, for me, there might be something else going on also and an insight in the... The mysteries of of what gender is and feminine and masculine energies and things like that. But I, oh, I, that I, I want to know. Tell me, tell me. No, but I guess that's <laughs> that's 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 a different episode. But I am really curious about this. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, uh, the reasons why this is happening uh-huh. it, it doesn't does doesn't have to be. I mean, some kind of as you say, pat- patriarchy operating from from. From the kitchen entrance, but uh, yeah. it's so actually some, think- something something real. But I'm not. I mean, I I think your your reasoning is extremely compelling in the book, and I I mean I agree with so many things that you say. But sometimes it's also well to hold your horses. It might be, I don't know. Yeah. So you think it has to, to it. do with like some kind of polar shift in masculine and feminine energy, or? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that the, the we can we can we can come to that question about categories. But first, you're a maverick journalist. You would say that, wouldn't you? A maverick journalist and writer, and uh, you have written books, uh, formerly published books about women's rights and also the fin- financial crisis from from yeah, from yeah. a Greek perspective. And you are also a pronounced leftist, mm. right? And, and <laughs> yeah, it's interesting here because. To a large extent, it's people on that particular political wing yeah. that endorse this new look on gender. So I know. Do, does that feel strange to you? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm really sad that we don't have the kind of Marxist foundation, the dialectical materialist foundation that we used to have in the left. So I'm sorry to say that the left, uh, I mean, parts of it, not all of it, but parts of it have kind of lost their ideological foundation and is now drifting on the sea of postmodernism and kind of like going where the wind takes them. And, you know, it's sad to say because as I've been 20 years in the 20 plus something years in the feminist movement and the socialist movement, both as an activist and as a writer, and I'm shocked sometimes at like you know where is the intellectual ideological debate about the the ideological and material foundations of our theories yeah. right i mean sometimes you'd get even from those um maybe they were wrong 
<laughs> Sorry. You mean the the Marxists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The theories. So that's why. People well, you'd are have changing. to read them to know, and most of these people haven't even read them. I, most of these people are like on the internet and just calling each other names. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like nowadays, if you read one book, you're considered an intellectual. I mean, you you can't guess how many messages I've gotten from people that say. Oh, you're such a transphobe. Okay, well, I just politely refer them to my book and say, have you read my book? And if not, I advise you to read it and then come back if you have opinions afterwards. And they say, no, I haven't read it and I won't read it either. Okay, yeah. so why are you talking to me? Like, sorry, I spent like four years writing this, but like, why are you talking to me? No, I don't want to read it because I heard it so bad. Like, you don't even trust your own judgment? They're af afraid to, to, to have to change their opinions. And it's also guilt by association, of course. Yeah, but I just find it, I mean, I'm in shock. Yeah. I mean, okay, you don't read all the books in, 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 in the world, but you don't contact an author telling her you're not going to read her book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what is my answer? As if and then as like, I would interview you, you today without having read your book, for instance. I mean, that would be so stupid. I mean, there have been articles written about my book by people who self-proclaim they have not read the book and don't want to read it. And I mean, or they're like, no, I read somebody else who read it and they said it wasn't good. Yeah. And I'm like, right, you know. <laughs> well, but there are always people like that. I mean, but there's I, so many nowadays. I've written books that people don't want to read either. So that's I don't know. You yeah, don't, but then you, don't read it. But then don't talk about it. Exactly. Don't talk. Don't post about it. Exactly. And also like coming to me and demanding explanations. Like, what do you think about this? Answer me now. I'm like, well, I read it. I wrote it in the book, so you can just go and read it. No, I want to answer now. Like, am I giving free lectures out here? Like private lessons to each and every single person online? <laughs> Like, I don't know what happened to like respect for, you know, the intellectual profession. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you have a very interesting and compelling chapter in the book about uh, where, you, where you talk about other kinds of categories. You you were mentioning this before here. And, and you make comparisons with with gender. Mm. We're talking about these two two uh, categories where, where the female category is the, the, the trash category and the male category is the, is the fixed one that is still accepted, uh, ironically. But but you make comparisons with, with uh, between gender and other categories in the book, like why not change ethnicity? Yeah. Why not change age? Age. And class. why not change, uh, yeah, class. I mean, and uh, to me that was, yeah, yeah, why not? She's, she's right, really. And then I thought, mm, maybe there's something particular about gender. But, but, but the paradox is that probably you could argue that gender is the most fixed category, and the other ones are more malleable. Yeah. I mean, I I can agree with that. But maybe yeah. maybe all wouldn't agree with that. Yeah, but you know, I've never gotten like I've asked. I pose this question many times. You know, I've asked, what is it about sex that makes it it makes makes it possible to change and not, for example, race, ethnicity, class, or age? Yeah. And I never get an answer. I never get like um, an actual, you know, uh, thoughtful reflection on why not. Because if you think about it, like class, you can obviously change. Well, you could you could argue that the class is also in your head. I mean, if you're if you're if you're a poor worker and and you become rich, you're still a worker because you were born. I mean, some people would argue that. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, you can't. Many leftists, go, yeah. Argue that. But you can go from one class to another. Obviously, I mean, look at all the self-made people. So, yeah. but what you can't do is say, um, "I'm poor, but I identify as rich, so therefore I am rich. So now you all have to give me money because I need, you know, the 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 lavish lifestyle that fits to my identity." I mean, that would just be laughed off. You can't do that. Um, you can't say, "I am white, but I identify as black," or vice versa. Um, and if you think about it, why not? Um, 
because ethnicity also is is I mean it's real it exists mm-hmm. it's material it's not made up but it also consists of two parts I mean one part that is basically biological it's you know the color of your skin and so on and then it's the whole social construct around what it means mm. so I guess without colonialism without slavery without you know imperialism we wouldn't think about race the way we do today right of course um, not. I mean, there have been societies where race has been irrelevant mm-hmm. and there have been societies where you have hundreds of categories of races, like um, colonized Latin America, for example, yeah. where it was really specified who was allowed to have a little mat to sit on in church and who had to sit on the floor. Mm. And that was like based on like, uh, you know, meticulous understanding of the color of your skin and what it meant. So, I mean, all that's also a social construct in a sense. So how come it's not socially allowed to identify as another race? Yeah, I would argue that it's more social. That, that, that's more truly a, a social construct to say that you're, you're part of a specific ethnic uh, group because than, if than, you think, than yeah. that you're part of a, a gender or a sex. Yeah, because if you think about it, you can imagine a society without classes. You can imagine a society where ethnicity, race, obviously was there, but didn't play a part. It wasn't important. Or that everyone just was mestizo. I mean, if everybody mixed just, with everyone. Yeah, mixed with everyone, so everyone's light, br- light brown in the yeah, end. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Or, so, I guess. or something. I mean, you can imagine that. You can imagine that. Yeah. And you can imagine just where it was just so irrelevant, like nobody really thought yeah, about it. Which but... Is, which, uh, Really you can be, never yeah. imagine society where it was irrelevant who gave birth because that's just such a life-changing thing. Mm. I mean, that's always going to matter somehow. Mm. It matters to sexuality because a man can technically have, you know, 30, he can he can produce 30 children every day. We can produce one child a year. Mm. Our bodies change when we have children. Or Men's twins. bodies don't change. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, twins, of course, or yeah, some have eight, but you know what I mean. Mm, yeah, I know what and, I mean. And, uh, and like a female cannot escape the consequences of sexuality the same way that a male can. By like so society can invent things such as the pill or such as, you know, condoms or such as abortion that will, you know, mitigate the, the effects of that gender divide, but it can never do away with it entirely. So that's always going to be a factor. Mm. You know, and I think I came to the conclusion that, you know, sex is what's um, what's most fixed. And therefore, that's why it's important now to patriarchy to do away with the notion of it. Mm. Because like a racist society needs the notion of race. If you don't have the notion of race, you can't have racism, right? But you don't need the notion of sex and gender to have patriarchy because it's just going to be there anyway do you see what i mean well not not really actually but uh i mean okay let me put it another way like what i mean is this um i'm saying it in the last chapter that a bit confused uh, yeah like patriarchy okay during like 2000 years if you look in the archives of everything that's been written and you look up the word woman you will always find that you know religious um authorities that scientists the old greeks you know ancient greeks wrote about women in a very derogatory way. Mm. Oh, woman is just, you know, not as good as men, basically, for 2,000 years. So the word woman was something that they defined. It was actually non-man, really. Yeah, even that. It was non-man. Mm. Like, a man is a you know perfect character and a yeah. woman is imperfect and, and so on. Okay, I understand what you mean now. So, mm. 
during the past 100, 200 years, women have started to take back that word. So we're now saying, no, 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 you don't get to decide who we are. We are saying women is this, women is that. And we have filled the word woman with a new meaning, meaning uh, a political subject that is oppressed, Mm. right? And that has the right to fight for her own rights. That's what woman basically means today. So patriarchy doesn't own that word anymore. So it can just do away with it. It can Mm. say, we don't need that word. Let's just stop using it. It's a tool that's no longer in their hands. So why can they do away with it and still maintain patriarchy? Because the the basis of oppression is real. We will still keep on having children. But if you make the analogy to, for example, a racist society that just did away with the word race, that just wouldn't talk about it, it would be more difficult to uphold racism because it is in the word. That's why, you know, the the racist wants to keep the N-word in his vocabulary. How would he otherwise be able to note the other person as other? Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, whereas, yeah. whereas patriarchy doesn't need the word woman because it's fixed. Mm. That's my point. Yeah. I know it's it sounds a bit... I, I write it better in the book, so it's, no, it's better yeah, explained It makes there. sense. Yeah, you explained it well. Good. Well, you reason, of course, also in the book about, uh, you know, around the standpoints that that exist, about the differences or non-differences between the sexes and, and what varieties of feminism that endorse one or the other side. Mm-hmm. The classical dichotomy is, of course, between biology and structure, that all is biology yeah, or all is social structure. Yeah. And you reason that both of these viewpoints in their extremes are... Uh, are not um, um, <laughs> viable. Yeah. Or so, but but isn't it obvious that that both are true? Of course, both ex- both exist. Yeah. Because I mean, you look at biology; it's obviously there. It it's exists. It's a scale. It's not a scale. I would say more that it's okay. Biology is always there. Like that's what all women in the world have in common: our biology, right? But. My life is not the same as a woman born in Afghanistan or in China or in Peru or anywhere else for that matter, even in my own country, you know, because of culture. So you can't just discard culture. I mean, obviously, if I was in some countries, I wouldn't even be born because there are so many abortions of, you know, females before they're born. And they're not aborted because they identify as women. It's because they are. Yeah. So, I mean, of course... There you see both biology at play because mm. what they're looking at is abortion of what is basically female female biology. Mm. But you see the culture is what's aborting that child, not biology. So you see both factors. Yeah. And I think you need to take into account both factors to understand the world. Yeah, but then then, then the question of the, the bio- biological aspect here is wider because then, you, I mean, it's obvious that it's that there's a difference in uh, when it comes to, to the body and who can... Uh, give birth to a child yeah. and all that. But are, is there anything else? Are there any other biological differences? You talked before about the uh, the brain. That yeah. y- I think that, that, that scientists have found small, minor mm-hmm. differences between female mm-hmm. and men's brain, but very small, as you say. And, and maybe they, they uh, what do you call it? Overlap. They overlap. Yeah, I, that's the thing. There are tendencies, but... Um, they are they are overlapping. So as I was saying before, like w- when it comes to just you know reproductive functions, they are not overlapping at all. Like yeah, you can clearly yeah. say. But when it comes to brain, um, first of all, I noticed that one of the difficulties while studying brain is that you often study like dead people's brains, mm-hmm. um, and then of course they're already 
you know, conditioned by society. So if mm. you look, for example, at a taxi driver in, in London, you know, this famous study that like they have because they've learned so many streets, mm-hmm. uh, there is a certain uh, spot in their brain that's expanded, which is the ability to memorize, um, you know, sense of orientation and things like that. So that's clearly not because they were born taxi drivers, but because they have, you know, brain is a plastic yeah, yeah. Uh, organ. So you would, it have, you would have to study study newborn babies' brains. Yeah, and you wouldn't just kill them and, and open the brains. You would have to do a brain <laughs> scan, which is also problematic because it might, you know, hurt the, harm the child mm-hmm. to do so. So, I mean, there are a lot of ethical issues. But anyway, I mean, you have there are tendencies, mm-hmm. you know. But then again, there are tendencies, and they are not certainties. But then again, if there are tendencies, or if there even are, are differences, that doesn't mean that the one is better than the other, as as you well yeah, know. Of course. So I mean, you can have matriarchy, yeah. and you can have a patriarchy. Yeah. There are matriarchies in the yeah. world, not not very many, but I, I looked into it a couple of years ago. Actually, there are still. Uh, I'm going, man. I'm yeah, going. Yeah, you're going. I think there was one over in Tibet. I think there was one in Tibet. Maybe it's not there anymore. But it was. This was a few decades yeah. ago. There were antro- anthropologists there studying this, and it was really interesting because they were. Uh, well, can't go deeply into that, but there there was a difference between the patri- the classical patriarchy and and this kind of matriarchy system because it was it was more peaceful and it was more uh, calm and they were really? more sociable and they were more uh, nurturing and everything yeah. and I mean the women still of course gave birth to the children and they yeah, were course. taking care of the children the, the men were just like I know you know staffage figures uh, <laughs> <laughs> like like male lions or yeah, something. yeah yeah so I, I think it was kind of neat really <laughs> what were they i want to look into this i really want to read up what what were they was farmers in Hima- himalayas or in tibet some somewhere uh i can't remember the, the name of the what did they the, live off of like what was their mode of production yeah i think they were kind of farmers maybe they had yaks or something mm, cool yeah i can i can i can, s- I can, I can see myself you, there yeah i can send you a link yeah but anyway so uh I mean, the, the, if we look at our societies, there has been an enormous change in the in the view. You 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 reason differently before here, but but I would say I would argue that that if you compare our societies today with fifty years ago, there's an enormous difference in 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 what is socially acceptable and not acceptable mm. to be or to do as a boy mm. or a girl. So. I think we can agree on that. And but the, the, if you look on the labor market, it's still not fifty-fifty, as you know. In some jobs, there is actually fifty-fifty mm-hmm. almost, or even more women than men compared to before. But in your view, in a perfectly gender equal society, mm-hmm. would equal proportions of men and women choose to work as mechanics and with small children, respectively? You think? Well, that's an interesting aspect. You know, I think. When you look at why Sweden, for example, has such a divided labor market, it's because so many women are employed. Did you know that? Like if you look at Greece, for example, um, you have much more equality in the labor market. But what that means is that the jobs that females do here and we get paid, they do for free outside the labor market. So that means that basically the classic male jobs are the ones that are being paid, whereas the classic female jobs are just... You know, like taking care of children. Maybe you don't have a kindergarten, so you take care of your own kids at home or your grandkids or something like that. Maybe the old people you take care of for free. So I think historically, I mean, throughout the world, there has been a division of labor that entails women doing what's reproduction, what's the basis of everything, um, which is maintaining the human species, basically. And males doing what's like on top of that, you know, production of, of something. 
But for production to happen, there has to be reproduction in the broader sense. Like somebody has to bring those kids up, feed them, um, take care of the sick, um, teach kids how to read and write, you know, and all that stuff is basically in most parts of the world done by women. Yeah. You know, I can imagine um, a world where, you know, it's 50-50 with everything. I mean, for that to happen, we would have to go through a major process, mm. right? I mean, it can't happen from one day to the other. Um, but I think the most important thing right now is to, like, value what's traditionally called female, meaning reproductive sector, because I find it appalling that today um, a man that's working, for example, uh, in banking or investment or something like that is can earn so much money for mm. that. And a woman right. who works there can do that too, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, for, for him or her to do that, he depends on the reproductive sector yeah. to be functioning, mm. which is functioning in a lot of countries for free, unpaid, or very low paid. So I think that's the big change. And I'm sure that when that change happens, mm. when you're being paid, let's say in, in Swedish crowns, like 80,000 crowns a month to work in kindergarten, you know, I'm sure that we're going to see males, you know, flooding like 8, the place. 8,000 euros? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is appalling. I, I agree. It's it's bizarre. Yeah. This this uh, salary difference there is, is really bizarre. And I think also when they talk about the wage gap, like they talk about it in the wrong way because what they talk about is, oh, women and men doing the same job get different pay. Mm. Yeah, of course. But, you know, that's not the real wage gap. The real wage gap is between reproductive labor, Sectors, the basic labor, yeah. mm. and the sectors that are like parasites on that mm. labor because nobody can do anything unless you leave your kids in kindergarten or you leave your kids in school or, you know, your old parents are being you know, cared for. Mm. So anybody who goes to work is depending on, on that already being taken care of. Mm. So why do you think that, that very well-informed and well-educated young women in Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Finland, for instance, in these countries where equality is, is the highest, uh, gender equality is the highest in the world probably, why don't they rush to these well-paid jobs like in banking, as you mentioned, uh -huh. or other kinds of jobs? I mean, some are doing it, are but doing I also think, you know, if they all did, we would have a big problem because who would work in kindergartens and schools and, and hospitals? Yeah, and but I mean, like it's, it's a free country. They don't have to go to these low paid. You know. But maybe it's, a bit it's really but, rewarding yeah. in a human sense. Yeah. You know, I mean, I would love to work in a kindergarten. I have worked in kindergartens before. And I think so it's why like, don't men, why don't young men who, who, who are... Uh, Because it is uh, I empathic mean, and want to work with kids, rush to those jobs. Because I mean, it's some rewarding. do, but most of the time, I mean, they are very low paid and also there is no possibility of career. I mean, basically, you earn the same thing when you're 20 and you start yeah. as when you're 65 and you quit. Whereas yeah. in most male jobs, um, there is a possibility of advancing. So mm -hmm. you can actually have a career within your job. You start yeah. one place, you end up another. You don't do the same thing. And I mean, if you look at the classic female labor, it has been doing the same thing over and over again, like maintaining status quo. Like if you look at cleaning, for example, a classic historical female job, you clean, then somebody walks in with dirty feet, you clean again. You wash clothes, somebody wears them, they get dirty, you wash them again. You know, you make food, somebody eats it, you know, mm, you have to make mm, food again. Yeah. So it doesn't stick. Yeah, maintenance of everything, which is the most necessary thing, but it doesn't make it into history books because it doesn't say, oh, she made this great meal, everybody remembered, okay? But then you had, you know, the guy who ate that meal was a general. He went out and he killed lots of people. He made it into history books. Yeah. So you see, like, that side um, 
making things that kind of stay, right? Like, oh, I built this building, right? It's still there. You can look at it. Yeah, Whereas yeah. the classic FEMA thing is something that... I cleaned this floor. Yeah. But it's dirty now. Yeah, exactly. Take a picture and then like, you know, let's praise yeah. it forever. Tomorrow it's gone. Yeah. So the reward, we're just doing the same thing over and over again and we don't get rewarded. Yeah. You know, that's the the. I've always thought that, that cleaners and, and, and the like should have the highest wages. Actually. I think so too. Because that's and, the basics. Yeah. Because, I mean, the other jobs are rewarding in other ways. Yeah. You don't need money for it. You don't. <laughs> I know. I know. And, and, and I, I, I mean, I don't consider myself a socialist, but I, that thing I actually think, I, I actually believe. And I also think like, yeah, I mean, they always say, oh, but if you didn't pay that much for like, you know, being a CEO, um, nobody would become. Why don't they reason that way with like other jobs like cleaning? Exactly. If you didn't pay like 10,000 bucks a month, nobody would do it. Well, there's some kind of, I mean, this aspect of uh, uh, responsibility and things like that. Maybe. But man, I cannot imagine a higher responsibility than taking care of children or sick people. That's true. Because you make one mistake, they're dead. That's true. Cleaning a floor, not so much. Not so much, maybe. Unless, yeah, cleaning windows is very risky. That's though. very risky. That's true. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. We've talked for a long time. It's been, it's been, it's been wonderful. Uh, what you focus your attention on is what you attract. So if you focus on conflict and polarization, that's what you're going to get. And if you focus on understanding and compromise, that's what you're likely to get. So what, Kaisa, what is the best way, do you think, to make peace in this strange new gender war? You know, that's a good question. I think it's going to happen organically. You know, I think with time it will happen. And I think what we're going to realize is we can have a society where we can perfectly accommodate transgender rights without compromising the rights of women. I don't think they need to go against each other at all. No. You see, and I don't think there would be this conflict between the women's movement and the transgender movement. You know, I, I don't see that as actually being a conflict at all. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, right? So it's going to happen organically and soon? Or do you think we have a few years of Oh, of, of I think we have strife? 10, 15 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of, you know, understanding to do. So I think it, it will happen organically, you know, as as time goes on, more debate. I think especially we need more debate about this yeah. because more we haven't books. really had debate at all. Yeah, so. More books from you, perhaps? No, I think I'm done with this topic. Okay. My next book is going to be about con men, so it's a totally different oh, subject. Like scammers, like okay. Macchiarini and those people. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> different topic. Interesting. So how, yeah. how far have you come with that one? Um, actually, I'm not supposed to mention this because I never mention my projects. <laughs> so we'll yeah. just hope that nobody has listen this far <laughs> sometime in the future there's going to be a book hopefully yeah about this yeah it's been a true pleasure talking with you today kaisa ekis ekman and where can people find your work i think you your earlier books have been translated to english right yeah my my book about prostitution and surrogacy is in english it's called being and being bought prostitution surrogacy in the split self and also it's in spanish french and german Uh, my second book is in Greek only and Swedish. And okay. this one, hopefully, it will be translated to English. Yeah. 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 We're looking for a publisher now, so we'll Excellent. see. Excellent. Excellent. And you have a website? Um, yeah, but it's not really updated. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you can find... I have lots of writings and speeches in English. Yeah. So I'll, put some links, on, I'll put some links in the intro text to, yeah. the, to the episode. So, good luck, Kaisa, with your latest book. And, and hopefully, it will trigger a sound and healthy debate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
Oh, 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 oh,